we've been talking a handful of weeks about developing our relationship with the Bible, developing our relationship with our faith, developing a relationship with prayer. This week we're going to talk about developing your relationship with people. I'm going to say that again. This week we're going to talk about developing your relationship with people. You're like, <laughs> That's how I felt when God said, Pat, I want you to talk about this. I was like, people? (laughs) And here's why I say that. I just want to lay some groundwork really quickly. Um, This is probably one of my biggest areas of struggle in my life. Uh, My wife said to me yesterday, very lovingly, she said to me, "Um, hey, are you finding it easy to prepare for uh, this message this Sunday? And I went, no. She said, I'm not surprised. But why? She said, because you have always struggled with your relationship with people. And people, it's just, it's, it's always been hard for me. And I, I just want to say that some of us, it's our personalities. Maybe you're just a, you know, a quiet person or you have a personality, you just, you've struggled. Or maybe it's the relationships in your past. This morning as I talk through this, there's going to be some stuff that might come up in your heart. Um, maybe it's just your relationships in your past have been tough. For a number of reasons, uh, I will tell you that all of us, to some degree, have struggled with relationships. People, when we start dealing with other people, it gets messy. It's the messiest thing we can do. The, the messiest thing that we could do as a church is open these doors and invite people to come in. Because as soon as we come into these doors as people, we screw the whole thing up. It's okay. Like, we're human. But Jesus loved us in our humanity so much that he said, this is how I built you. And we're going to talk today about a couple key things. Now, this is not an exhaustive, you know, key points where this is it. It has to do with relationship. But these are some key things out of Philippians that I feel like Jesus was highlighting to us relationally that if we live by, I will guarantee you, if we, live, if we can live by to a percentage even of what Jesus did in his life. You will, you will live a life with developing. Now when I say developing, I, I want to point out that relationships with people are not something you develop one time and you set it and forget it. It's not a microwave or a fan. Okay, It's not a ceiling fan. I want my relationship you know, with my wife to be on high. And I set it and I walk out and, and it's always on that. That it's dynamic. Why? Because I'm a person and she's a person that we're people. So what that means, developing, means that we have to continue coming back to and we have to press and be intentional about the growing of. And that's how we live in relationships that thrive. And I feel like the heart of the Father was from the very beginning that we would live relationally, um, thriving and not just surviving. Uh, I feel like that that's something that um, Jesus shows us from the beginning, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'm going to talk about some things and bring it home to 2019. Let's start in Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement, right in the very first one, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same 
the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In some other versions it says, in verse 3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Do you value the people around you above yourself? Let's ask that question. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, we're about ready to get some stuff spelled out to us that our attitude should be the same as Jesus when he looked at things relationally, when he looked at his relationship with us. And if I have to look for relationship advice, here's the most interesting thing. I think you and I can relationally give each other great advice, but only Jesus can give you perfect advice. There's a difference. Jesus is the only one because he's Jesus. So Jesus is about ready to give us a lesson, okay? And we're going to break this down. So it says, verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we were born out of relationship, every single one of us. I mean, I don't have to get into the birds and the bees here. Uh, but the truth is, every one of us were born out of two people relating to one another. Do you understand what I'm saying? You were born out of relationship physically, but you were also born out of relationship spiritually. From a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit that said in Genesis, said that in our image, let us make Him. Let us, let us make Him in our likeness. That means you and I carry the image and likeness of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that we're made in His image. And one of the key things is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit shows that there's relationship that they're dealing with one another and they're submitted to one and they love one another. And we're born out of that relationship into relationship with each other, Adam and Eve. So we're born out of it. We're born into it. Currently in society, um, I I'm going to read this and I'm going to read it again because I have a feeling some of you will go, huh, I want to hear that again. Currently in society, we're living in a time and space where isolated pursuit by the individual to find what their unique fit and purpose is. You want me to read it again? We're living currently in society, isolated pursuit by the individual to find what their unique fit and purpose is, is prevailing. So here's what it sounds like in society. It's all about the individual. It's all about me. In fact, whatever's good for me has no effect on you. Because it really is about me finding my unique fit and purpose in life. And, 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 and I said it's an isolated pursuit. And what we see right now in society is, is that people are isolating themselves. They're breaking themselves apart from, from relationships. They're being very disconnected. And there's some things that I'm going to mention here in a second from an article that I read that my wife gave to me that I think is pretty profound. But it's isolated pursuit. We're not pursuing it in relationship with each other. It's because it's all about me. It's about the individual. That's where we're at right now. We say that on, we, and, and I could, I could, we can dialogue afterwards and I can give you a lot of examples politically, socially, 
in the home. This is where we're living, okay? My wife gave me this article. She's, she's preparing. She's going to be speaking next week at that Unlock Women's Conference. If you, it, I'm telling you, you should be there. If you haven't signed up to go, you should, you should be there. She gave me this. She said, hey, I think you should read this. You're talking on relationships tomorrow, and since you're a bit deficient in your ability to actually have good relationships, I think this would help you. <laughs> with, a, with a kiss. She's there to help me. So this is what it says. There's more data on this reality than almost anything in health psychology. It has to do with connectedness, okay? That's what this is talking about, connectedness. Relationally, how we connect, how we connect socially. One-on-one -on -one, and then the broader scope, okay? People who are connected to others have been shown to have better brain development and immune systems and less psychological vulnerability to all sorts of problems like depression, anxiety, addictions, and the like. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. We're living right now, for the third year in a row, America has declined in their average life expectancy. Social science, they do studies every single year. For the third year in a row, as an American, I want to tell you something that your life expectancy has gone down. This is important to understand, that it's not just the person's life expectancy who's not connected. I want us to begin to understand the power of we over the power of me. Where you go, we all will go. And we do not live in a society any longer that believes this. We believe that our disconnectedness allows me to go to wherever lengths I would like to in pursuing me, and it has no effect on you, but that is not the truth. And social science right now is saying that the number one reason that there's a, there's a, a, a smaller life, a shorter life expectancy in America is because of this word disparity. And disparity comes from people who aren't connected. And even though we're the most connected time of life, right? All of our, I mean, I have, a, I ha, I have, a computer in my back pocket, right? I'm more, I'm more connected right now. I could I could start a live Instagram right now in this moment. My wife is texting me one minute ago. Hi. She's watching on YouTube. I'm sure. We're more connected than ever, but we're disconnected. And what's happening is I, I'm not going to blame it on social media, by the way. Because before social media, before this in my back pocket, we were already on the pathway of disconnectedness. And I want to tell you that part of the reason is, is because we're human. We've been fighting this, this idea of connectedness and disconnectedness since the garden. And the enemy wants us to live disconnected. The enemy comes after what? The relationship. The relationship between us and God and the relationship between horizontally, between each other. So we're dealing with depression, anxiety, and addiction, and it's killing us, literally. It's shortening our lives. But it's doing it socially. So that means that if I'm dealing with this depression, anxiety, and I, I'm walking through that, that it actually has an impact on you, and an impact on the 10 people around you, and the impact on the 10 people around each one of those 10 people. You and I, because we live life, it's nothing is isolated. We want to think that whatever's happening in our home is isolated to our home, but it's not. Because our children take it to a classroom that it impacts the other children, and it impacts the teacher, and the teacher takes that home. Do you understand that it's a ripple effect? Do you understand that relationship is a ripple effect? So this isn't good enough to say that people that are dealing with mental illness, 
the young pastor this week, that we need to pray for the family who is a part of a major ministry in Southern California that just took his life, 30 years old. I'm not bringing this up because he's a pastor. I'm bringing it up because the very thing that he was battling, he had a ministry centered around helping people overcome depression and anxiety and suicide. And he took his life, 30 years old, married, multiple kids. Don't tell me that that's an isolated incident and it doesn't impact the people around him. Don't tell me that you and I can make decisions that don't impact the people around us. Relationship we were born into and we are all connected. I want us to understand this as we start this morning. We are all connected. If, if you suffer, I am going to suffer somehow. Do you understand that? So people that are connected have a higher resiliency in illness. I want that. Fewer heart problems. I'm sure that means physically and spiritually. They have less, less occurrences of cancer, strokes, arthritis, etc., etc., etc. I'm thinking, forget the ginkgo biloba and the like, you know, whatever you're taking at Costco, you're buying like buckets full of pills. So, you know, it's like, I, if I just have better relationships, I'm actually going to be healthier. Can I, can I just tell you that? Do you think God said, you know, hey, it's relationships or pharmacy? We weren't born into a pharmacy. We were born into a relationship. But we want to cure our relational issues with pharmaceuticals. All right, I'll leave that there. The list, this is in the, this article, the list just goes on and on. In other words, the more connected you are, the happier and healthier you are. Why? This is fascinating because you were designed to be like God in deep loving relationships all of the days of your life. It goes from the womb to the tomb. That is powerful. I want us to understand as we walk through these things today, and I break down some things that, that, that I felt like God was speaking to me out of Philippians. You and I were born for a relationship. What it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you have to run out of here and start 50 new relationships. Jesus had, I'm serious, Jesus had 12 and really, really knew like three, like really like relationally. And so I just got to be honest with you. Some of you have the capacity to have like two significant relationships in your life. Some of you may be 12. Maybe you're a social butterfly. I don't know. But at a certain point, I'm just telling you. That's not, I actually want us to take what we're going to read together and we're going to talk about and apply it to the relationships that God has you in now. Because I guarantee you, you feel tension at times in those relationships. Because those relationships are made up of two imperfect people. And then there's me. Just kidding. Yeah, I won't say what I can. Number one. Okay, how do we develop better relationships? How do we grow these things? Number one, growing relationships show value. Growing relationships show value. This is very simple. Philippians 2.3 says, value others above yourselves. Here's how I apply this. How do I value others above myself? Some of you guys hear me talk about I'm self-professed, like highly competitive person. Here's a simple statement that I have to, I have to make. It pains me to see even say this in a sermon. I don't always have to win. 
Now, at the end of the day, this is one of the toughest things for me. Have you ever argued over something that you stop and you go, what are we arguing over? Do you know what that, at that moment, do you know what you're doing? You're, you're valuing yourself more than the other person. And really, if I said, if you can't remember what you're arguing over, why are you arguing? You'd say, to win. At that point, you're not arguing to get your point across. You're now, you've dug your heels on the ground, and you're, it, now, now it's, okay, we're fighting now. I'm going to argue to win. So I don't care what you say. I'll contradict myself if I have to. Some of you were like, dude, this is, this is last night. This is on the way to church. <laughs> Preach, Jesus. This fool needs to hear this message. Growing relationships celebrate the others around you finishing first. Um, can I tell you that you will never find your unique fit and purpose outside of relationship? See, society right now is saying it's the isolated pursuit to find my unique. So people, are, so the younger generations are like, I'm an individual. I need to find what my unique fit is, my unique purpose, right? And, and we're disconnected. And the problem is, we're never going to find what that unique fit and purpose is without other people. I have found my unique fit and purpose because God gave me so many stinking children. And a wife. And a, and a big family attached to my wife. And then, and then puts me in, in a position of being a pastor of a church with People. And I'm going to tell you something. It's because of you and my family and the people in my life that I understand my unique fit and purpose in the puzzle. But it took relationship. And in that pursuit, my relationships only can grow when I let other people win. This is important. I value you. I want you to win. I'm going to celebrate when you win. Right? If I don't value you, I'm going to celebrate when you win by taking credit for it. That is a whole nother conversation. But that's how we can devalue people. I don't always have to win. I said it. Unless it's a foot race. Number two, growing relationships close the gap. Growing relationships close the gap. It says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or to be grasped. He didn't take it and say like, I am God and because I am higher than all of you and I have broader understanding and power and I'm, I am full of grace because I am grace. I represent grace. And you guys are just stupid. Right? Which would be easy for him to do. But, we, but, but he didn't do that to us. But why do I do that to people? 
I'm like, I met Jesus. My life got better. I don't struggle with some of the same things that I struggle with. How about this? Take Jesus out of it. You were once 16. And now I'm 46 and I talk to the 16-year-old. I'm like, what were you thinking? My wife's like, you, you were exactly like that when you were 16. And I was like, no, I wasn't. Oh, yeah, you were. She's like, I knew you. <laughs> and it was horrible. <laughs> See, what I do is I keep myself at a distance. And I, and I, and I, and I look down on people. And I forget that I was once there. Or how about I was there yesterday? Or how about I'm still there, but I can't see past my own pride? And what this said, Jesus closes the gap because he chooses something. Now I'm going to have to define a couple words. He chooses empathy over sympathy. Let me define those for you really quick. Sympathy acknowledges the suffering, acknowledges the struggle, acknowledges the pain, but does it from a distance. So this is the language of sympathy. I'm sorry you're in pain. I see that that hurts. That's what sympathy says. Empathy is totally different. Empathy says, I'm going to experience the emotion of your suffering, your pain, and your struggle by stepping into the gap and by closing it. And so the language of empathy says, I feel your pain. You cry, I cry. You're, you're on a trajectory of death, Jesus said. I will step in. I won't remain cynical or give you shout-outs from the sideline. I'm going to step onto the field that I'm called to play on. I'm going to step in. I'm going to close the gap because that's what empathy does. And you're heading toward death, so I'm going to take death. And you're feeling the pain of this relational disconnection, so I'm going to step in and I'm going to feel the pain. You're weeping. I'm weeping. And how many times in society do we sit back and we log on to our media platforms and we have conversations with people and we're sympathetic, but we're not empathetic. And we do things from a distance and we remain disconnected because of that. Can I tell you that? We don't have to look very far. You look socially. We have a lot of issues going on right now. Relational, and it's all relational. Can I tell you, it's all relational? It's 100% relational. Segments of society. Suffering. And that we can be sympathetic toward things. And I'm, just talk, I'm not just talking about it in America. We can be sympathetic from a distance. As Americans, we can write a check, $23 a month, and we can support that kid in Africa. That's sympathy. That's not empathy. I'm not saying not to do that. But I want, you, I want you to understand that is not empathy. And Jesus chose empathy because he wanted to close the gap. Number three, growing relationships are proactive. Growing relationships are proactive. It says in verse 7 that he took on the very nature of a servant. 
he was made in human likeness. He took on the nature of a servant. He was proactive. See, our relationship at this point is very strained with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't sit back and wait for you and I to get good enough. Jesus didn't sit back and make the choice that, hey, maybe, maybe what I'll do is, is I'll wait until they realize how great I am. And, and the amazing things that I do and what I represent in their life. And I'll predicate my love for them and be reactive to how well they love me. So the grace that I'll extend is a reaction to what it is that you're going to do. Jesus didn't do that. He was proactive. In fact, in Romans 5, 7, it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, what? He was proactive. <laughs> it's like the parent who knows it's raining outside and, and, and sees the child in the backyard running and playing in the mud and the parent be, begins the process of cleaning the child up before the child's done playing. They've made a mess of themselves and the parent has prepared the wash basin. He's got the soap and he's got the towel and a clean set of clothes to get them warm. It's got some, got some hot water brewing for some tea and maybe some soup. And what I'm saying to you is, is God prepared in advance before you and I even realized we were making a mess. He prepared in advance to clean up our mess. He was proactive. He stepped in. So Jesus practically creates this pathway for reconciliation. And oftentimes what we do is we wait for other people to step into the middle, don't we? <laughs> okay. Oftentimes, I wait for people to step into the middle. I'll own it. I was looking for a response there. You guys were like, I ain't owning that. So, oftentimes we say, you know, if we could just be unified, and you know, we could, we could be unified, we would, we would have peace. To have peace, we need unity. And we see this spoken about, we see it, Talked on political realms. We see it blasted in media outlets. It's like, you know, peace, we need to be unified and people are speaking about this. But rarely is anyone willing to step into the middle and be proactive first. And we need to step into the middle first. And we need to show empathy because then the people that are around us, that the ten we go, it's tension between people. It's not. It's not tension between people. We need to be proactive. In fact, proactivity is probably the one prescription that I could give you for your relationships that you're in right now to bring peace. Be proactive. It's, it's me taking the time to understand that my wife is a mother of seven children. We homeschool a couple of them. We have a lot going on in our life. We have this Petri dish of sickness that's going through our house right now. Okay, And it's like never ending because it just goes through the kids and starts over again and goes through the kids and starts over again and goes through the kids and starts over again. You know what I mean? Like how, how, how long were, you, how were your kids sick this, this like flu season? And I was like, what year? 
they're like, oh, no. Like, I'm like, no, really. Like, the whole year. What year were you talking about? Because it was like a year. I live with a mask, and I, like, put all my kids, like, you have to go away from me. Don't, I don't want your germs, right? And being proactive for me in this situation is that I wake up in the morning, even though I have things going on, sometimes it's me going, you know what, I'm going to be proactive and loving my wife. Here's a simple thing. She loves coffee in the morning. She's been nursing a baby all night. We have a four-year-old who's struggling with some stuff. And one of the best things I can do, this is so simple. You should take notes on this. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be profound. I find that when I do these small things and I'm proactive, she's like, sends me a text with the heart emoji. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> Things are looking good. I'm proactive. I'm going to love you. So I, I get water and I put it in the teapot and I start heating it up and I get her coffee with the French press ready and the raw honey and the ghee. And the little frother that I bought her for Christmas that you put the milk into the line, the raw milk that we buy that's special. It comes from cows that eat golden hay. <laughs> Organic gold. Non-GMO organic gold. And, you, and it's awesome. You, you put the milk in and you, you push the button. And it's got this magnet and it spins and it froths the milk. And I put two scoops of protein powder. Of course, it's collagen. It's like, it's like the perfect kind. It comes from grass-fed animals as well. Next, you're just going to see me eating grass. <laughs> and I prepare it all right. And I put a little bit of the foam on top when I'm done. And I say, I go, hey, I got texture like, hey, coffee's downstairs for you. That's proactive. But too many times we live in response. And, and I want to tell you that when we're responding, that's actually most of the time we're in repair mode. Jesus was proactive. He doesn't need to be reactionary in the repairing process and the restoration process. He's already laid the pathway for you and I. Can we do that relationally? Can we be proactive and step into the middle? There are people in your life that are struggling with things. And they need you to step into the middle. They need you to be vulnerable and strong and courageous. I need you to step into the middle. Next, growing relationships. Find a common third option. It's really funny because a lot of relationships, people will say, you hear these stories, you know, like, oh yeah, my, my parents were married for like 50 years and then like, we're all grown and have our own kids and my parents got a divorce. I was shocked. And you sit down with this couple. You're like, you were married for 50 years. And the woman's like, well, we just didn't have anything in common anymore. Nothing in common. 
It's like, John, that's the problem, John. We just didn't, we lost everything in common. Nothing was there. We just, two ships passing in the night were nothing in common. And John, of course, is like, Harriet, I don't think that's accurate. She says, my name's not Harriet. Like I said, John, we have nothing in common. And they land in divorce. See, we predicate things on what I'm going to call binary common ground. Here's what I mean. If I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat or vice versa, we can't have a relationship. If I'm white and you're black, we can't have a relationship. If you're black and they're Mexican, you can't have a relationship. Uh, if I'm American and you're from a third world country and your life's being devastated, you're trying to get into America, we're at odds. Binary differences. We can't have a relationship. If I love the color blue and you love the color red, we can't have a relationship. If I believe in same-sex marriage and you don't, we can't have a relationship. Are you getting what I'm saying? And I'm very thankful that Jesus did not step in. He didn't cover the gap and he wasn't proactive. and He didn't value us with a mindset of, if you're this and I'm this, we can't have a relationship. Why do we do that? In fact, it says what Jesus did is he humbled himself and he came and he found himself in the appearance of a man. And I don't want to oversimplify this, but there is a point, you guys, where we have to hit, where we have to just come to grips with the fact that like I said before, the most common third option that you and I could find is that you're human. And I'm human. You were created in the image of a God. And I was created in the image of that same God. That He gave you thoughts and feelings. That you feel pain. That you experience the highest of joys and the lowest of discouraging moments. And we get caught in the peripheral issues relationally, one-on-one. -on -one. And what happens is when we're caught one-on-one -on -one, and we can't find this common third option and we're living in a binary world and our relationships break down here one-on-one, -on -one, our relationships are going to break down globally as a society. See, our society isn't a reflection of politicians that can't get the right policy. Our politicians are actually a reflection of you and I. I believe that we sit where we sit socially on a lot of levels because of you and I's struggle and our tension relationally. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot more of us than there are people sitting in Washington or Sacramento or heads of state anywhere. And when you and I say, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to value you more than I value myself. I don't have to win. 
When I say I'm going to step in and close the gap, I'm going to be proactive and be the first one to step in and do it. When I say I'm willing to look past all the things, the two binary poles in life, black, white, blue, red, Republican, Democrat, what are you? And I'm able to push that aside and say, what, what, is, the, what is the third option that you and I can find that we have in common? Because I could tell you right now, all of those things could go away and you and I are still left with each other. You know, it doesn't matter who gets elected. I still have to get up every morning and face my family and I got to face you. And you and I have to figure out how we can relationally bring peace to our, to, to our existence together. And we were designed by God to live in fulfilling relationships with Him and with each other. What's the third option? It really is you and I, like Jesus, He said, I know what the third option is. Because He could have said, I'm God, you're not. I'm perfect, you're not. I created time, you live within time and are bound by it. Third option, you were created in my image. That means that He carries, He carries the humanity that you carry. He says, that's the third option that I'm going to predicate the foundation of our relationship on. That's where I'm showing up to the middle. What's the third option? Where can you and I find that common ground? Where can you find that common ground with the person that you're married to that you can't stand today? You're just waiting for your kids to get old enough. You're barely hanging on. Where's the third option, the common ground that you can find in your workplace? You're just waiting for for your resume to get picked up by a couple other people. Perhaps it's not a workplace issue. Perhaps it's my own issue. Perhaps when I go to that new workplace, I'm going to find that I have the same relational issues. This is my story. My wife's like, it's really funny. You have the same relationship problems every place you go. I know, it's like they follow me. Right? Because it's never my fault. She's like, what's the common denominator? I was like, I don't even know what denominator means. I failed English. She's like, I'm trying to find common ground with this dude. She's like, that's math, Pat. That's math. Here's the benefit. Number one, there's a personal benefit. I read you all the personal benefits. Less cancer, less anxiety, less depression, less less death. Let's just say that. There's the personal benefit. If we could follow Jesus right here, that's a huge that's that that's pretty good upside. I'm gonna live longer. I'm gonna have less disease, right? I'm gonna have less mental problems. And heart issues, physical heart issues, spiritual, emotional heart issues, right? But here's the other thing that happens. And I think this is super, super important. When I take, when I take this outside of what do I get, because the first thing we all ask is what do I get out of it? Can I tell you that relationally, uh, let me go back to number one. When we value ourselves over other people, this is the question we ask first. What do I get out of it? 
When, I, when we say step into a community here at the movement, when we talk about giving our finances, giving our time, being in a relationship, the first thing, I'm, just, I'm human. The first thing that I think, this is what I think. What's the return on investment for me? What am I getting or what will I get? So if you can prove that to me, then I'll, I'll go ahead and move. And so I want us to be careful because I don't want us to just have good, developed, growing, thriving relationships for the personal benefit. Because it really, at the end of the day, guys, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It doesn't. If you're sitting in this room and you say, I believe in Jesus, and not only do I believe in Jesus, but I'm a follower of Jesus. There's a difference. I'm a follower of Jesus then this will matter to you. When you and I can thrive, we grow, we're living and developing relationships, Jesus is highlighted. Why is that important? Because on our own, we're not attractive enough to show a broken world how well we suffer and how well we go through things on our own. It's only with Jesus. Without Jesus, we're just a social club. You understand that, right? Without Jesus, we're just a, we're an organized social justice arm. We need to bring the light of Jesus in the darkness. And we do that with relationships that are growing and developing and thriving. So why do you want a healthy relationship with the person sitting next to you or the people you work with, with God? One, you're going to live longer. Pretty good upside. And you're going to be healthy and fulfilled and full of joy and you're going to find peace in your life. That's great. Number two, you're going to be fulfilling and reflecting the very thing that you're supposed to fulfill and reflect. Your purpose is to reflect the relational goodness of a father Son, and Holy Spirit that you were made in the image of. That's the truth. Why don't you stand with me this morning? So here's our takeaway this morning. I chose three because I thought three was a good number. I like three. Also, I thought Jesus had 12 people around him, 12 guys that he really had a developing relationship with. Plus, he had the rest of his family and his extended family. He had these 12 disciples that he called. And then he really developed a relationship with three of them. And he really got close. And he really like called out three of them. So I thought three was a good number. So here's, what, here's my challenge to us this week. To write down at least three names of individuals that you're going to be intentional about growing your relationship with. Three names. You, you, you and I may want to start with Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. I'm going to be intentional about growing my relationship. That means I'm going to be valuing him more than me. I'm going to be closing the gap. I'm going to be proactive. I'm not going to put myself on the throne. He can have the throne. I'm not going to make my name famous. His name can be famous. 
I'm not going to draw light to myself. I'm going to cast light in dark areas because of him. That's, by the way, that's what the rest of Philippians said. I just didn't read it. You can go back and read it. That, that's what it says. Therefore, God gave him a name that would be lifted above all other names. That every tongue would confess that he is Lord. Three names. Can you imagine? I, I want to think for one second. Can you imagine right now what would happen if we were a family who was willing to fight for relationship? Because we all, I want to say, we all think like great relationships, man. They're like no conflict. You don't have, like, can, you got to fight for it. Can you imagine what would happen if we were a family that fought for healthy relationships? It would change everything. Can you imagine taking that out into a society that right now is living in isolated, disconnected relationship? Like, what's so different about you? You're like, I'm willing to fight for a relationship. By the way, I value you. I just don't see your pain. I feel your pain. Can, can I step into your world? I want to know. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine the transformation that would take place in your own life? Can you imagine the transformation that would take place in the lives of the people right around you? Can you imagine the transformation that we could bring to cities, into counties, into our state? Let's pray. Father, this morning, If you're in the room and you're relationally, like this whole concept of relationships, uh, I just I, I have this picture of some of us standing, um, and I kind of get like this. I don't know why I've never played the game. I don't know anything about it, but I want to say Minecraft, like these like brick walls and rooms that you you're you're living a life compartmentalized. Um, you can see and speak to. You can even reach through the window and touch the people around you, but you're completely guarded and you refuse to let people in. And God wants to break that those walls down this morning. He wants to remove those things and he wants to give you freedom. Some of you are dealing with years and years and years and years and years of pent-up tension and mistakes and faults that have been made relationally. And maybe you're the person that's made them. Perhaps you're the person that has been offended. God this morning is calling us to a place of reconciliation where he's saying, I, I am the only one. I am the, o I am the only third option that should be your first option, by the way. You can go to counseling. You can go do these things. But at a certain point, if you would come to me, if you would come into my presence, if you would come to me, if you would listen to what it is that I'm saying, if you would follow my direction, it'll transform everything. 
Some of you don't have falling apart relationships, but when you hear this, you're like, I want to be a light. I want to be someone that has a thriving relationship. If that's you this morning, if you say, I just want a thriving relationship this morning, raise your hand. So here's the deal. I'm going to pray for all of us that we would have thriving relationships. For any of you who are struggling relationally, I don't want you to leave this place without you coming forward and receiving some prayer. It's not counseling. It's coming alongside you and praying. And there are testimonies in this room. And I want to honor those testimonies of of lives where the enemy has tried to destroy and rip apart between parents and kids and between husbands and wives, all kinds of things. There are testimonies in this room of the goodness of God touching and transforming and healing relationships. If you're, if you, if you're in a relationship that's been transformed, I'm going to ask for a little bit of vulnerability. Because I want to I be able to say yes and amen to this. Raise your hand. Amen. 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 This is good stuff. This is, this is what Jesus came to do, you guys. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask globally, Father, I pray right now that you would bless each one of us with a heart posture towards you that says, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus. And you did these things and I'm going to walk behind you. You step and I'm going to step. You've laid the pathway you put the cobblestones. I just got, I got to walk the path. And when it, when it gets tough, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be able to relate back to you. But God, I pray for the relationships in this room that want to thrive. God, that you would continue to breathe into them. That we together, not, not as individuals, but we together as a family can understand that when we are thriving, when we as individuals are thriving, that this church is going to thrive as our homes thrive, that the city is going to thrive as we thrive and our homes thrive. And so God, I pray right now that you would give us the strength and the courage to stand and to follow the the simple instruction that you gave us in growing our relationships with the people around us. For every person in here that's struggling relationally, uh, I'm going to ask that the Lord just speak And begin to minister, if he hasn't already, minister to those areas where you're wounded, where you're struggling to make sense, where you have no trust. And there's so many things surrounding these relationships. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to come forward. For all the rest of us, God, we thank you in the power of your son's name. We all together as a family can say yes and amen and amen.